0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald.
2: Welcome to a special edition of the PowerCat Podcast. Today we're going to discuss recruiting, more specifically Kansas State's early signing period class of players. And then a little bit later in this podcast, we'll turn our attention to the transfer portal and other big picture things. I am Tim Fitzgerald, publisher of GoPowerCat.com. And joining us today on the podcast is our expert, our recruiting editor, Ryan Wallace joins us via phone. And, Wallace, give me just your overview of this class and how you feel about it.
3: It's interesting because, you know, I, I thought that this might be a year that, you know, K-State continued kind of to take an upswing in terms of, uh, you know, the, the talent that they bring in from – when I say talent, I mean from a recruiting star and rating perspective. Um, it seemed like the last two classes, you know, um, had gotten – Uh, a little bit better and a little bit better. Um, and then this class, uh, for whatever reason seemed to take, uh, a a bit of a U-turn. And again, I I don't want to make it sound like, um, recruiting at K state has hit a regression because I think if you look at, you know, the overall ratings and things like that, the, the the team is finishing year over year, it's getting better. Um, but, It was a class fits that to me felt very heavy. Uh, I would argue almost too heavy on development, developmental projects. There's a lot of long-term kind of upside in this class Uh, guys that I think can certainly become something. They all have uh, the tools necessary to be contributors, starters, maybe a few stars uh, at the big 12 level, but uh, a lot of guys that are going to require Um, A lot of patience. There's not that one, two, three kind of players in this class that you go, oh, that that's an immediate impact guy, or you know that is an all-conference player, um, no doubt about it. There, there are some question marks with just about everybody from Jalen Clem, who's rated as the number one. You know, prospect that they signed all the way down to Sterling Lockett, who's rated as the lowest. It's a it's a heavy developmental group here. Vince.
2: It, it strikes me that it almost feels like they're diving into that now that they're going to have a smaller recruiting class. Uh, they they looked at it and said, "Well, we don't want to cut out the developmental guys. Maybe we cut out some of the guys, honestly, that haven't always worked out." Sure, Deuce Vaughn has, and other guys have that have been able to come in, but then there's. Joshua Youngblood, a guy that comes in as a pretty well-thought-of recruit and doesn't stick around uh, because he you know, wants something more than what K-State's offering. It struck me that maybe they're getting the same number of developmental guys, just not the other guys, which kind of is disappointing. But they also know the transfer portal's out there, and we'll discuss that in the second half of the podcast. But it just feels like they're embracing the developmental thing, uh, I'll be blunt, a little more than I'm comfortable with.
3: Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I would go back and argue because, uh, you know, that point got brought up in a chat that uh, I had on Thursday night at Wabash station about, well, you know, maybe they're they're bringing in some guys that they feel like are going to be, you know, more determined, I guess, if you want to use that word for the long run, which is kind of what you're describing. Um, but I, I think you kind of can run a, a risk there as well with, you know, bringing in too many guys that, you Uh, take too long maybe to get to the level that you want because the risk that you play if if you get over developmental (laughs) over developmentally you know if you if you get too much of that then I think you you might find yourself with kids that want to enter the portal because they quickly realize this is you know way above me Um, you know that I'm maybe wasn't really meant for this level that you know, they thought maybe I would develop and and I'm just not. And so I think if you're, I, I don't think you can recruit out of fear. I don't think you can recruit out of the fear of, you know, recruiting a kid that, you know, is too high caliber for you. And then he doesn't become, you know, what his hype was. And so then he transfers just like, I don't think you can really, you don't want to over recruit developmental projects because, you know, not all of them are going to work out. And you might have some, like I said, that get on campus and go, Whoa you guys thought that I could do this and I'm way outclassed here. So I'm going to hit the portal too. So I think, I think, you know, it goes both ways.
2: Well, let's start going through the guys in this class. I want to start with the one guy that we know has been brought in for an immediate impact. Cause he's the only junior college player in the class. And that's Kobe Savage out of uh, Tyler junior college. He hails from Paris, Texas. And uh, this is an interesting case. This was a guy that K-State, could have had. I mean, I want you to kinda of fill in the blanks here. They could have had, but they they didn't quite extend the offer quickly enough. And then he committed to North Texas and then K State said, No, 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 you gotta come up here and see this and they got him.
3: Yeah, I mean to put it bluntly, it was it was a case of K State kinda of playing their power five card and, you know, at the end of the day, they played it well. And I think maybe they had some insight that they knew they could, they could go ahead and flip him. Um, but at the same time, it was kind of a, a small example of something that seems to have been, you know, become a little bit of a common theme um, with, with this class uh, and, and maybe the way that the staff has chosen to handle some things because it was very close to being botched. Um, you know, Kobe Savage was a guy that was on their radar for – Uh, several weeks, maybe several months that they were kind of eyeing, you know, his film and we get past the regular season and Joe Klanderman heads all the way down to Tyler, Texas, which is, you know, if you're flying into Dallas, (laughs) you know, it's a, you know, 60, 90 minute, you know, drive from there to get to Tyler. So, I mean, he he went kind of out of his way to go see Kobe Savage Um, meets for several hours with Kobe and the Tyler coaching staff down there. Um, and then kind of turned around, shook his hand and, and left, <laughs> um, without an offer, uh, you know, a day or two went by Kobe Savage realized, you know, I, I better go ahead and lock something in so I don't get left hanging out to dry. So he commits to North Texas. And then as you said, Fitz, then K-State gets word of that. And they were like, well, hang on, you know, we, we were going to offer you once you came up on the visit and. They end up getting him on the visit, they offer him, and uh, slightly before he actually arrived on the visit, he announced that he got offered on the visit, and, and then he committed. But getting back to who Kobe Savage is, um, I'll just be pretty blunt. I, I think that our staff at 24-7 has him uh, undervalued at, a, at an 84 rating and a three-star he's only considered the, the fourth or he's considered right now the fourth lowest, um, prospect in this class. And, and I think he has some of the strongest film of the entire group. Uh, I, I think maybe the the five ten stature is probably what maybe scared the evaluations away and maybe scared some of the bigger offers away from Kobe because he's extremely fluid in the way that he flips his hips. Just, uh, Aggressive to the ball. I think he plays the run equally to the way that he plays the pass. He's just a ball hawk back there, and I think he's going to be. You know, I said that there wasn't really an immediate impact guy, but I do feel like um, if there's one guy right now that I think could start right away or at least maybe challenge on the depth chart immediately. Definitely Kobe Savage at a major position of need uh, on that back end
2: of the defense. The high school players, they announced 12 initially on Wednesday, and now there's been a 13th, and we'll get into him a little bit. But let's kind of shuffle the deck here and start with, ironically, the guy that's the lowest rated in this class, but the one with the highest name recognition in the class, of course. His name's Lockett. Sterling Lockett, an interesting case here because um, he – he isn't overly highly regarded in terms of his evaluations. But, man, it's hard to pass on the genetics. You just feel like he's going to work himself into something. Give me your thoughts on Sterling.
3: You know, I, I think Sterling is another one of these types that, um, you know, that he doesn't really do anything that, that really wows you. But you all, at least every time I left watching Sterling Lockett, he also really didn't do anything that you're going well. You know he he won't be able to make it because he's an extremely crisp route runner. Um, he's not nearly the the speed demon that you know his older brother is uh, in Tyler, and he's not as tall as his uh, dad Kevin was, uh, but he does have a pretty good um, wingspan and a pretty good catch radius, and so I think he's kind of the the combination of the two and uh, when you factor in his route running I think that's what's really going to separate him as he comes off quicker than he's going to test and it's the testing things that I think kept a lot of teams away um, but if you're looking and realizing oh well he's he's still getting open he's still making the tough catches you know I think K-State tapped into that a little bit beyond just obviously the the legacy in his name because they realized, no, he does a lot of the little things extremely well and he's very reliable. You know, he's a guy that's going to pick up the playbook really quickly. So he's a candidate for, you know, Tremaine Carroll, the strength and conditioning coach to take under his wing for about a year or two. Uh, You know, I don't think he's going to jump on the scene nearly as quick as Tyler did, but you give him a year or two to, to physically develop a little bit more and that's a kid who I think can can definitely be on the field as a slot receiver and a guy that's going to be a really reliable target for any quarterback.
2: To me, it doesn't sound like you described a locket as much as you described Curry Sexton.
3: Exactly, exactly.
2: Nothing wrong yeah. with the foot speed, uh, great hands, will do everything right for you, but just not the hyper athlete that the lockets typically come with or his dad was just known for um, – having an extreme um, catch radius. I mean, it was absurd what Kevin could catch. So if they get a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I think he'll be just fine. Okay, let's move on to a spot that they really did target in this class, and that's tight end. Uh, They signed Braden Lofton out of Omaha, and then they went across the border – excuse me. Then they went across the state to uh, get Columbus, Nebraska's Garrett Oakley. Your thoughts on these two tight ends?
3: Pawhuska Bluffs or Council Bluffs, I was. It's basically Nebraska. Right? I mean, uh, close enough. But um, two two tight ends that I think they went out and tried to find two kids that that can really stretch the field. Um, and you look at them on tape, and we saw the Go Power staff saw them both at camp. They were both guys that came in and impressed the staff. Um, not only K-State staff, but, you know, our Go PowerCast staff as well. We were very high on them after watching them in person. Um, but it, what the staff wanted to do is you watch their film and you go, okay, these guys are basically jumbo wide receivers at the high school level, really good hands um, stretch the field. Well, you know, upper, upper tier, I would say kind of athleticism um, for what you're looking for from, t- uh, from a tight end, because again, at heart, they're kind of jumbo wide receivers at the prep level. They bring them into camp. Kind of detest their aggression, their physicality. Can they block? And both of these players absolutely passed with flying colors. Um, I think with Braden Lofton, you know, he has a little bit maybe better size than than Garrett Oakley. Um, when you see him in person, I think he's just a little bit more stout, put together. Uh, but you know, he's a guy that I was able to see in seven on seven, and he was even capable of playing linebacker. Um, you know, covering—that's the type of athlete that Braden Lofton is. Lewis Central a state champion in the state of Iowa this year so he comes from a, a successful program up there and Garrett Oakley same way you know this is a kid that I think is if you want to talk about sleepers in the class I like Garrett Oakley a lot um when he was at camp uh there wasn't when he was doing one-on-one drills against uh, defensive backs there wasn't weren't many times where you know he wasn't open and if the ball was near him he was catching it um You know, really the only times he didn't catch the ball is when the quarterbacks overthrew Um, and he just wasn't able to. It wasn't catchable. But uh, the thing about Garrett Oakley that impressed me and impressed Jason Ray at the time was he had two or three pancakes and one on one blocking drills against defensive ends that, you know, K-State is bringing in from out of state. Um, And so I think he really impressed them with, again, just his physicality and his development that I think he, the strides he can make as a blocker. These are two tight ends that are very similar to kind of Sammy Wheeler. Again, guys that have upper echelon athleticism for the tight end spot, but guys that, you know, uh, you can always develop blockers. Uh, you can't always make a blocking tight end into a receiver, IE Nick Linners. Um So yeah, they went out and found some guys that I think fit more along the lines of, of what they brought in in the past, you know, a Connor Fox type. Um, they just, again, like Sterling Lockett need a little bit more time in the strength uh, and conditioning phase of the game. And probably with Garrett Oakley, maybe getting a little bit more accustomed to the speed of the game too, since he's coming from a little bit smaller level uh, at Scots, Catholic in Columbus. So once those guys get adjusted, I think these are two uh, pleasant surprises at tight end. They're not highly rated, but I, I think they project really well.
2: Stay on the offensive side of the ball. And by the way, Brayden Lofton uh, went to school in Council Bluffs, but he lives in Omaha. So he, he's, <laughs> he's crossing state lines every day. Um, offensive line, they went out and found some tackle prospects. They really needed to kind of bolster that room. They got a couple young guys in there that haven't maybe quite caught up to where they want them to be. Uh, they went out and found Jalen Klim, who you mentioned is the highest rated player in this class at 6'6", 260. He's from Mars. Pennsylvania. Um, Drake Beckwith, also from uh, Grapevine. He's 6'6", 260. And then their final offensive lineman is John Pastor from uh, Erie, Colorado. Another Colorado guy comes to the program at 6'6", 285. They know they need future help at this tackle position. Uh, the BB family is better suited probably on the inside. Um, and that's where they'd like to get him eventually. But uh, how did they do with these offensive tackles?
3: Good. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, two out of the three, you know, Jalen Clem was a guy that, you know, was on the radar for a while that, um, you know, out in Pennsylvania, you know, I think it's a tough sell to get him to be able to make some sort of visit during the season. They didn't get really around to him in the summer, but, We're able to lock him in uh, in an impressive win. I think probably the most one of the more impressive wins, um, just straight up recruiting that that this staff had and can lean on from Connor Riley. I think uh, you know one of the offensive GAs, Hayden Wall, put in a lot of time with Jalen Clem as well. So that was that was really impressive for for me to see them win that one in particular because it looked as though Jalen Clem was going to kind of bet on himself and not sign until February, and K-State made it uh, a major point and a major emphasis that, you know, we are here right now. We really want you. We would really love to have you in December. Uh, Sold it hard and sold it well, and and Jalen Clem, they end up getting him to go ahead and, and not wait until February. Big, big win for them. The other two, again, going back to the camp circuit, both of these guys came up at camp. Um, both of them impressed the staff, uh, impressed the Go Powercat staff as well. I remember Drake Beckwith, Zach Carlson and I were immensely impressed with what we saw from him. I wouldn't be surprised if Drake Beckwith maybe starts out, you know, they might test him um, at, at tackle, but I, I like him from an athletic standpoint as a guard. I think he could really pull well and, you know, just be more, Aggressive um, and a kind of closer proximity, hand-to-hand combat uh, in the in the trenches. If you put him at guard rather than tackle, where you know there's a tendency to kind of wait on the pass rush to get to you. I, I like him being a little bit more assertive. So we'll see where he ends up. But you know, him and John Pastori have great length. Guys that again, I think move well. You've got to be agile to impress Connor Riley. Your footwork's got to be good. Got to have good bend. Both of these kids have it. Um, if they can, you know, test themselves or push themselves, I guess, and, uh, you know, eating, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? You know, to ask a coach say, you, we really want you to eat, Ryan. I'd love that. Um, uh, you know, if they can do that here the next year or two and, and get themselves up to two 300 pounds, um, good, good, again, good projection, but patience will be needed.
2: I've never had a coach tell me to eat more, huh? I wonder why.
3: Um, one more thing. One more yeah. thing, Fitz. That I should have mentioned too about this offensive line group, um, and and really, it's kind of scattered a little bit throughout this this class. Is uh, K State similarly to, to Bill Snyder? Chris Kleiman goes out and finds guys that I think. I don't know if this is a requirement necessarily, but. Some really good players on the field, but also very strong in the classroom. And you look at Drake Beckwith and Jalen Clem, those are two kids in this class that held uh, some serious Ivy League attention. Um, Drake Beckwith was, you know, entertaining Harvard, Dartmouth. Uh, I think Jalen Clem had a, a Harvard and maybe a Yale offer, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, these are guys that, are going to pick up the system for Connor Riley. Well, so again, I don't think playbook will be an issue for these offensive linemen. It's more about getting their bodies ready.
2: Now let's get to, uh, before we switch to the defense, a couple glaring holes in this early signing class. And one of them's at quarterback. Now they made a push for someone. They kind of spent a lot of time, invested a lot of time on someone that signed with Minnesota, but, Chris Kleiman made it very clear at Wednesday's press conference they intend in finding a high school quarterback to supplement into this class. And uh, they got Adrian Martinez uh, to commit out of the transfer portal. We'll talk about him in the second half of this podcast as a one-and-done quarterback transfer out of Nebraska. But where are they at with quarterback? And then we'll touch on running back and some of the problems they've faced with running back. Because when you got Deuce Vaughn, it's hard to sell playing time to anyone.
3: Yeah. Um, well with quarterback, I think, you know, as we, you, you kind of alluded to, we'll get to that with the transfer portal and and Adrian Martinez, because I think, you know, that's really what they wanted to do there. I think if they can get a high school quarterback, um, you know, they definitely will. I had some discussions already today as we record this on Friday, um, about a quarterback that I think is trending in their direction for probably February, uh, a young man that was recruited uh, and committed actually to another school um, recently decommitted. And it sounds like they're making a very strong push to get him on an official visit um, early in January. And again, he's from the uh, the high school level. So he would be a four-year kid. And it sounds like he's extremely interested in Kansas state. So they may end up getting another quarterback um, that they can add specifically to the 2022 class as a four-year player. Running back um, is a position that I don't think was ever on their radar that hard, um, and rightfully so. You had, you know, underclassmen like Jaquardia Wright and Joe Irvin, along with D.J. Giddens, a kid that they were glowing about in fall camp, and Devrin Weathers coming in as a freshman. So there was really no need for that. Well, now after the season, they realize, oh boy, um, you know, we might want to go and take a little bit harder look. Um, they offered Travis Bates uh, as a running back, a young man that's uh, coming out of Berkeley Prep, which is in the Tampa area, uh, a program that I think K State has some pretty strong connections at. They've gotten Joshua Young blood from there. once before they brought in RJ Garcia, a current wide receiver from Berkeley Prep, who's friends with Travis Bates. So you know he's probably a guy for February that they might look to sign. Um, it, it, in what fashion I'm not, I'm not sure. I think it would be a full ride scholarship, but we'll just have to see how numbers shake out The The one for me that I was a little bit more surprised by fits at them, maybe not looking out a little bit more was receiver. You know, I, they bring in Sterling Lockett. Um, there's uh, the strong likelihood, you know, I think it's going to happen that Tyson Struber, um, will sign in February, uh, it's kind of up in the air if he's going to play wide receiver or safety. Tyson has always told me that it seems like he'll start at receiver. And then if, you know, if that doesn't work, they can always slip him. Um, but, you know, it, with the possibility of Malik Knowles wanting to move on, because again, as a graduate, he at least has that option. Philip Brooks, the same way, does he want to come back? They've now lost Tyrone Howell. That just felt like maybe uh, an area that they might want to hit Again, from a more immediate standpoint, Sterling Lockett isn't that. Tyson Struber isn't that. So that one was a little puzzling for me. I thought they might take one. I know that they were after Moody Rubin very hard. Um, gave it a valiant effort for him and ultimately the academic profile and package that Stanford can offer one out. But uh, to not really have another backup option at wide receiver beyond Moody It struck me a a little odd, I'll be honest.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, and we'll get to that position probably more with the transfer portal because I think uh, that is something now that they have to address with immediate help. Let's flip over to defense, and I want to start with a position they didn't get anyone at, and that's defensive tackle. What's going on there? um, It would seem to me that that's a position sort of like quarterback, that they want to add at least one into the room every year, if not more than that. And they added none. It's a really difficult position. In fact, I, I've long said it's the most difficult position to recruit at the Power Five level because the demand is so high for the really good ones. And then it's kind of hard. It really is difficult to project high school kids accurately that are still in the growing process as defensive tackles because, you know, there's just a lot of skill sets there that are still under development, but they didn't get one. And I find it to be a little bit disturbing.
3: Yeah, they have a one commit, Uso Samalo from Garden City Community College. Um, again, committed uh, prior to early signing day, um, was not able to sign based on what I've been told. It's an academic thing, um, whether or not he can clear it up you know, before February, I'm not sure. The benefit of the doubt, though, is in K-State's hand because um, they were far and away the biggest offer for him. Um, and he has a pretty good bond, I think, with Mike Sopo who knew about Uso coming out of high school in Hawaii. So, I mean, they go back a little bit. So, I, I, again, I think if Uso can qualify, he'll be their guy. And I think they'll probably wait on him to qualify, even if it takes beyond February. Because, again, as you said, you don't find many, you know, six four, three hundred and five 305 guys that, you know, fit into this scheme. And I think that's another topic when you think about defensive tackle if If you move to the three, three, five, it becomes, I think, even harder at times to recruit because you're left trying to find a true nose tackle. And, you know, that leaves you with, you know, you have to find guys that um, are space eaters, guys that are, you know, above 300 pounds, probably, you know, above, you know, six, two, six, three, at least. Um, And, you know, to be honest, it's a lot of those guys just don't really move the way you want them to. Um, and so you, you don't just want to get a guy that's just kind of the immovable object necessarily. You want to have somebody that's slightly agile, you know, not a a pass rushing phenom, but somebody that can be athletic a little bit. And so again, that narrows the scope even more. Um, I don't think, you know, they uh, are going to go to the high school route in the meantime. I think they'll just try and, you know, keep an eye on Uso and maybe keep an eye on the transfer portal because, yeah, defensive tackle is an area that um, I, I think they would like to get at least one more in on, though we are hearing some, some good news about maybe not needing one as immediate as, as you might think.
2: Interesting. And probably the guy that intrigues me the most in this class is the one linebacker listed here out of Wichita East, Toby Usun-sama. And sama uh, Listening to Chris Kleiman talk, this might be the one high school guy that sees playing time earlier rather than later. They feel like he comes physically gifted. He needs to get a little weight on him probably to play in the middle, but he I from reading between the lines he seems to project as Daniel Green's replacement eventually in the middle of that defense because he is calling defensive plays and getting everyone lined up at Wichita East. He has a great mind for the game, Coach Kleiman said, and that is something you need for your middle linebacker. What do you think about Toby Usansama?
3: Well, uh, you know, Toby is a guy that, you know, he's still fairly raw. I mean, I think if you watch some of his tape, there's a tendency at times for, you know, him to kind of figure things out on the fly, but he is so incredibly gifted athletically that he can make up for that. Um, you know, this was a kid that was playing a little bit, even have some safety, um, heading into his, you know, sophomore and junior season for the aces. And, you know, Shaq Reed is an assistant coach down at Wichita East, former defensive lineman for Kansas state that they got out of Butler County community college. And, He just has absolutely raved about Toby from the get-go, just the type of specimen that he is. Bryce Brown, another player, former K-State Wildcat, um, that coached at Wichita East up until this year. He's now on staff at Butler County. But, you know, he's a guy. You you talk about, you know, freaks. I mean, Bryce Brown was, what, the number one or two player in in the nation coming out of high school. And he talks about how unique Toby is as an athlete. You know, we're talking about 6'2", 210 right now, running, you know, 4'4", kind of 40 times. Um, he's got incredible speed, great gifts. I think I think Coach Klein nailed it when he said that he can easily get to 230 pounds. There's something about, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but there's something about uh, Toby is Nigerian, and the Nigerian roots, they're, they're, there's something about just being able to quickly bulk up you know, at a, at a more rapid pace than we see just about anybody else. I mean, Felix DK Uzama is the same way. I mean, when he came out of Lee Summit High School, the thought was, well, you know, he's going to need weight. He's kind of long and rangy. And the next thing you know, he's showing up at K-State at 250 in the blink of an eye. So I don't think it will take Toby very long at all to physically get to where they need him to be. Um, once he can figure out, you know, the the playbook and things like that, Um, he's a kid that, you know, I think similarly to Daniel green might need some, some snaps to kind of shake some rust off and and get comfortable with the game. But athletically, boy, he, he's got serious legitimately NFL potential written on him from an athletic standpoint. Um, I think he was a, he was a great gamble for K state to take early on. I think, you know, when they saw KU offer, they knew they couldn't really wait a whole lot longer. And so they got him to to camp. He ran through some testing, checked out, and they said, no, you're good to go. We don't need to see you do anything else. Um, You you passed the eye test and offered him immediately, and he committed just about immediately. So that was a really strong gift for them in the state.
2: Yeah, um, he's a guy that I almost – Barring injury, he'll play four games at the minimum next year. He might even uh, burn that red shirt because of depth at linebacker. We will see. There is another linebacker in this class, Jake Clifton, out of Owasso, Oklahoma. Toby is 6'3", 210. He is 6'2", 210. What are your thoughts on Jake Clifton?
3: A little different from Toby in the standpoint that when you watch Toby on film, again, I think sometimes – his athleticism will overshadow, um, you know, some of the things that I think he's still learning where the, the process is still coming to him. Jake Clifton on the other hand is a guy that, you know, maybe there are moments that he, that he does jump out on tape, but by and large, he's just a guy that doesn't make a lot of critical errors. Um, he's a guy that knows where he's supposed to be. knows the angle that he needs to take to get to the football and makes it time and time and time again, solid tackler. And the thing that, that I found out about Jake Clifton over the recruiting process was, um, an upper echelon athlete, uh, an, uh, you know, doesn't get enough credit for the type of athlete he is three sport kid at, at Owasso, at, you know, which is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the largest classification in Oklahoma, um, a powerhouse program, state championship program as a junior, um, so they're used to winning, used to doing things at, at, you know, with very, very high expectations. And you have a kid like Jake Clifton that is a captain on the team, you know, started on defense, I think, for two years now. Also a sixth man on the basketball team and also part of, uh, I think, a fairly decorated uh relay team on the track squad. So, you know, he can run four by one, four by two, four by four. Uh I don't think Jake gets enough credit for who he is as an athlete. Um and you know, to give you a quick side note about, you know, the type of potential that I think Jake Clifton has, Brent Venables gave gave him a shout. Um when Venables got the the job at Oklahoma, it was brief. It was only, you know, two texts worth, two text messages worth, but again, Brent Venables reaching out to Jake Clifton when, you know, Lincoln Riley didn't. And I think we all can agree. Brent Venables knows a thing or two about linebackers. Uh, I think, I think again, that says something about Jake Clifton. And he had a couple other power five offers, um, Missouri, Washington state, um, Illinois. So, you know, a kid that, that people saw some potential. And I think again, different than Toby, uh, I I could almost see Jake Clifton maybe challenging a little bit more for the depth chart immediately, hmm. simply because I think he kind of has the the makeup to pick things up maybe at a little bit quicker pace, and he's not going to make as many mistakes. Um, you know, comes in maybe at a higher floor level. But the difference is Toby has that higher ceiling.
2: Defensive end, a late addition in the class, another Oklahoman out of Enid, Oklahoma, excuse me, Donovan Ryman. Ryman, how do you pronounce that? I believe it's Ryman. That's Ryman going. We'll go with it. 6'4, 225. Um, Looks like what they've been doing at defensive end. We're going to bring you in if you're an athlete and try to put some meat on you.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, really strong hands. Um, you know, physical guy has a pretty good jab step. There are things about how he moves. I think that, you know, he's still, he almost kind of feels like a guy that's still kind of learning his body a little bit. I don't know the backstory, maybe if he hit a growth spurt or not, but you know, there are times when it's a little awkward, to kind of watch him give on tape. Um, but he's not a pure pass rush guy. He's, he's very reminiscent, honestly, of a guy like, you know, Felix and DK Zama, who, you know, is going to be a technically sound guy, because again, as I mentioned with some of the offensive linemen, Donovan Ryman got some serious Ivy league consideration. Um, and so he's a guy that's extremely bright. Um, he'll pick things up really quick, but like I said, his, he's all about power. He's all about strength. And if you're going to run the three, three, five and play, you know, that end spot, that's really more what they're looking for there. And so I think, you know, he's a guy that with, You know, 20 more pounds. You see how strong he already is at 230, 235. You can imagine what he's going to be able to do to blockers at 250, 260. So, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, he's exactly what they want from the defensive end if this is the scheme they're going to continue to run.
2: Let's move to the back end of the defense, and there are four guys listed there with the late addition. Colby McAllister out of Houston, Texas; VJ Payne out of Buford, Georgia; Jordan Perry out of Jefferson, Georgia. Georgia has been kind to K State as of late, and one of your favorites, a guy that snuck in there late, got a little confusing about when or why he was signing, how or how he was signing—if he was a blue shirt or a gray shirt—or uh, but he ended up in this class, signed a little bit later after the announcement of the class. Jacob Parrish out of Olathe North, and he may not be a defensive back; he might. Kind of be, I think you've made a comparison to Philip Brooks. he might be a just an athlete that you need to find a home for
3: well, you know I, the guy I think Jacob will end up as a cornerback, that is where Dan Malone and company you know really wanted him to to play. He reminded me of uh, the reason why I brought up Philip Brooks was because I think they both kind of had that do it all um, athletic profile in in high school where you could really you know you can line him up at running back, which. Philip did and Jacob did. You can line him up at receiver, slot, kick return or whatever. I do think when he gets on campus um with as a blue shirt that it'll end up being um as a cornerback and he plays the ball really well, Fitz. You know, he's probably only five ten, I think two four seven. We list him at five eleven. He's probably closer to five ten. Um, but he just has incredible ball skills. He's very instinctual. Um, you know, when I've talked to Sterling Lockett when Sterling was going into his senior year uh We were just kind of you know shooting the hay and and I asked him, you know who's the toughest guy that you've you've gone against here in the Kansas City metro who who do you feel like kind of locks you up better than anybody? And this was again over a year ago, and he said Jacob Parrish what, you know didn't hesitate. so I, I think that that is a statement in and of itself about what Jacob can become as a cornerback. There are things about him that remind me a lot of of Nigel Malone and again, the instincts, the ball savvy. Um, but physically and and dynamically, there's elements of him that remind me of Duke Shelley. So that's that's Jacob Parish. I thought that was uh, you know it was interesting that he got the blue shirt. I thought maybe they could have gotten him at a if you want to call it a cheaper value uh, as a preferred walk on. But you know ultimately. Um, they knew that they could get him. He wanted to be a K State Wildcat and and a good take for them.
2: Okay, Colby McAllister. Before hold on, before we move on to the other guys, let's <laughs> let's cover what a blue shirt is for those that don't know, because sure. it's a weird thing that Bill Snyder didn't really use. We've seen other programs, Kansas has used it in the past, and and now K State is starting to use it under Chris Kleiman. Explain the blue shirt
3: you go to my Twitter, I have an entire kind of uh, dialogue. I mean, a novel that I wrote about it because there've been so many questions about it. The best way that I can describe it is first and foremost, you know, you have to be what they kind of an unrecruited recruit, if you will. You cannot take an official visit. You cannot have coaches, you know, come to your house, uh, doing an in-home because those are things that, I think the terminology is, you know, it puts you on the books with the NCAA from a financial standpoint, you know, K-State, you know, will have had to pay for your official visit. K-State would have had to pay, you know, for uh, coaches to come to your home. So again, you cannot be a recruited prospect. You can take uh, an unofficial visit to, to the school you know, and that sort of thing, but that's about the limit on it. So that's first and foremost, but I think the best way that I can describe it. And I think most K-State fans, uh, have knowledge about what a gray shirt is. Think of it kind of like a sped up version of a gray shirt, a gray shirt. Obviously you are able to come in and, and, and you sign with say the 2022 class, but technically you don't get to do anything with the football team until the following spring. So in essence, you're kind of you, you commit and sign with 2022, but really you, everything kicks in for you at 2023. Um, with a blue shirt, you get to sign with the 2022 class. And as long as you pay your way through what usually is uh, summer school, so most kids graduate as blue shirts in May. They arrive on campus in June. You and your family agree we're going to cover summer school up until the fall semester begins. And the minute the first practice kicks in in August um, for that upcoming season, your financial aid kicks in, um, and you are officially on scholarship. The tricky part, the the caveat here, is that technically that scholarship, even though you are on it for the 2022 season, does not kick in. It doesn't count. It doesn't, um, you know, affect the the scholarship numbers for from a recruiting standpoint until the 2023 class so it counts towards the 85 scholarship limit on the overall roster for the 2022 season but in terms of recruiting you sign with the 2022 class but your scholarship isn't counted from a recruiting standpoint for the what used to be the 25 scholarship limit until the 2023 class. So the way I've described it is you're basically borrowing a scholarship from your future class. Um, and that's the best way that I can describe it. It's very tricky fits. I think it's again I think it was created for teams like Kansas, um, you know, teams that are trying to dig themselves kind of out of scholarship holes where you're trying to get more scholarship worthy guys in without kind of overdoing the the limit, the the limit that the NCAA has in place per signing class, that's why it was put in. Uh, so again, it allows you to get more scholarship guys off the street that and obviously a blue shirt is more attractive since you are going to be on some sort of aid than a preferred walk-on would be, or even a gray shirt would be, because you don't have to cover expenses for as long a period of time. Um, but again, it's it's tricky because if you're not on top of your roster management, you um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a gamble. And again, it's a dice roll because, you know, now you're saying we feel like Jacob Parrish is worth taking away a scholarship from maybe someone that again, you don't know, but could have been better than him in 2023. So it's, it's a gamble, but it's one that, you know, K-State, specifically seems to really like
2: I'm, I'm not a big fan of the blue shirt i think it's kind of it's a weird rule it's just a weird 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 r- rule and i'm glad that k-state's gonna use it to their advantage. but i can see the ncaa eventually saying uh, i, I wish i
3: wish they would use fit fits. i think i think one or two is okay um lately k-state's been using you know five six blue hmm. shirts I, that's where I, I feel like maybe it gets it, it gets too Agreed. difficult to track
2: okay colby McAllister.
3: Okay, back to Colby, and I'll speed it up here. So with Colby, um, that was an interesting take from the get-go because he was a kid that only had another offer from Alabama A&M. So, you know, when you talk about a reach, uh, you know, you you could definitely argue that Colby McAllister was a reach. Um, however, when, you know, I've talked to some folks uh, down in Clearbrook and on the Clearbrook staff, current Clearbrook staff, and they had a little bit of a coaching change, uh, I believe, between his junior and senior year. And from what I was told, you know, Clearbrook's former staff didn't do, didn't go above and beyond to try and get their guys recruited. And so it's possible that, you know, had he been with the staff that they currently have, uh, which is a head coach from, uh, that they brought in from Duncanville, which is one of the powerhouse schools in Texas, you know, maybe if he had been there for an extra year or two, maybe. Colby McAllister's recruitment, I don't want to say would have blown up, but definitely would have had more interest than just an offer from Alabama A&M. But, um, you know, he was a kid that I think Van Malone really liked from the physical standpoint. 5'11", I think he's, by the time he gets to campus, he could be pushing between 180 and 190. Um, He's listed as a corner. I think he could be kind of a, a triple threat guy. Uh, you know, with his physical acumen and, and the way that he kind of is, his style, I guess, lends itself with the way that he tackles and the way that he can come downhill. He really feels like a Reggie Stubblefield to me, a guy that you could move inside to nickel or maybe even play some safety um, in, in a, in a needed, um, in, a, in a necessary, in a need. Uh, I don't know the word I'm trying to look <laughs> in, in, in case of an emergency. There we go. In an emergency you could have Colby McAllister, maybe even fill in at safety. So uh, a guy that, you know, i I think he's probably better than than we think, but again, you know, on the on the surface, a little bit of a reach. And he'll need some time, but you know, a guy that physically I think comes in ahead of where most kind of cornerbacks would be.
2: Okay. The two kids from Georgia, both kind of rangy guys at six three and six two, VJ Payne and Jordan Perry.
3: Yeah, you know, these two guys were guys that the staff I know when they got them was absolutely thrilled by. V.J. Payne was a player that, uh, by all accounts, it seemed like Joe Klannerman and his defensive staff had rated as high, if not the highest safety on the board. And Jordan Perry couldn't have been much further down at you know maybe two or three. So they they held these guys in high, high regard. What's interesting about them both is – you know, most staffs, you hear about uh, football, uh, football prospects moving down. Um, in other words, it's common that you might see a safety that a coach feels like once you get them on campus and you kind of bulk them up, well, they're probably going to be better suited at linebacker. Sometimes you see outside linebackers at the high school level that, you know, once you bulk them up and if you can keep the speed on them, wow, that looks like a DN. With these two players in this case, K-State's going to move them backwards. Um, they play outside linebacker in high school. K-State feels like they have the athletic profile um, to be cover guys at safety um, and still obviously come downhill and, and be good tacklers. B.J. Payne is interesting because you know he doesn't have a lot of pop to him. There's, he's not a guy that I think, you know, is a thumper. He doesn't strike when he tackles, but he's, I've described him before. He's kind of like a spider fits, you know, he's just hard to get away from. He kind of just wraps you up. And um, once they get some more strength on him, he'll be able to get guys to the ground a little bit easier, but um, a really good athlete, you know, closes extremely well. Jordan Perry is a dynamic athlete in his own right you know, played running back actually for Jefferson and the Dragons at six-two-one-eighty, 180. And so, you know, that gives you a little taste of the kind of speed that I think he brings to this position. Both of these kids, I think, will, you know, have the opportunity to pick things up um, as quickly as they can handle it because at safety, um, Kansas State needs all the depth and competition that they can get for next year. Um, but I do think it's asking a lot. Um, if you're assuming that either one of these players are going to come in and start, they might sniff the depth chart again, just based on need alone. But, you know, when you're asking a linebacker to move back to safety, learn that position, that playbook, you know, understanding how to flip their hips and, you know, turn and burn, if you will, uh, from a cover coverage standpoint, you know, it's going to be a big request for them from, from, uh, you know, a first-year player, but you know they feel like that that they've gotten two guys with the really, really, really high upside.
2: Very good. That is twelve high school players, one junior college player, the thirteen players. Signees announced on Wednesday afternoon by Chris Kleiman. And we threw in Jacob Parrish, the blue shirt out of Olathe, who announced on Wednesday evening he was coming to Kansas State. He is Ryan Wallace. He's our recruiting analyst. You see why I keep him around after what he just gave you in the first 45 minutes of this podcast. And after the break, we're going to dig into some other topics because recruiting isn't just about getting high school players anymore. You've got a lot of elements working into your scholarship count, including the late signing period, which I think this year will be a little more active for k-state than it has been the transfer portal and those super seniors it all goes into your 85 and we will touch those topics right after this
1: gopowercat.com's powercat podcast continues after this short break
0: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you
1: welcome back to the power cat podcast now let's return to the gpc
2: studios Welcome back to this special edition of the Power Cap Podcast as we discuss recruiting with our own Ryan Wallace and the recruiting class that Kansas State signed on Wednesday. We covered all of those players in the first half of the podcast, and now we're going to look at some other elements here, including the late signing period, transfer portal, and the Super Seniors, all impacting rosters right now. And Ryan Wallace, just the overview of this, this is really hard to manage. I think the biggest element here is the Super Seniors, because You kind of want to go about your recruiting. You don't want to have to run around and ask a bunch of guys right now who's coming back because they still have a bowl game to play. But you also need to know because this group, unlike last year's, unlike the real seniors that were – going through that in the pandemic, those five guys that came back were like bonus scholarships. They didn't count towards 85, but from here on out, anyone that comes back and uses their pandemic card in their back pocket, they do count. And so it does complicate things. You do need to leave openings. And I expect some guys to come back. Any names that you're hearing that might come back?
3: Well, I kind of hinted at it in the, in the first uh, hour. 45 minutes. Uh, yeah, I get a little long winded. Sorry, folks. Um, I kind of hinted at it. I, I think there's a very good chance, um, realistic shot, but I would even say, you know, bordering on, um, you know, uh, uh, an assured kind of sure thing right now would be Eli Huggins. Um, I heard from a source not too long ago that it really sounds like, I think they'll get him back. And again, that's why, you know, maybe defensive tackle doesn't look like as big of a need as maybe you would think on the surface. So if that, becomes true. Um, and, and, you know, we get some confirmation on that from Eli or, or K state, whomever. I, I think that's, that's massive. Um, you know, obviously the one that everybody's kind of waiting on, I think the coaches included is Malik Knowles. And I think with Malik Knowles, I think you can throw in Phillip Brooks because, uh, by all accounts, I think those are two, you know, close friends on the team when you play the same position and you've kind of been together, As long as those two have, I think, um, you know, it it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, one might base their decision on the other. Um, But, you know, it's fluctuated fits, you know, one minute you kind of hear that, you know, maybe they're not that interested in in coming back the next minute. You know, maybe they are. Um, It'll be interesting to see how the offensive coordinator hire uh, the wide receiver position, uh, higher, um, as well as now that we know about Adrian Martinez, how that might influence those two pairs of wide receivers. But those are the two without a doubt that I think, um, probably carry the biggest question marks right now. And the ones that I think the staff would like to know most about, you know, you also have a guy like Josh Revis um, who I think the staff would love to have come back to. Um, but I just haven't heard as much about, you know, he and, and Ben Adler, um, who I think also could come back as a super senior. Those are, those are some others that I think, you know, the staff will, will think long and hard about, but again, I, I think that, you know, for as much as you want Josh Revis back, um, and maybe even Ben Adler, I think the staff does feel at least a little bit more comfortable knowing, okay, if we can slide Cooper Beebe inside, hopefully, um, and we get Taylor Podier back. You know, we're a little bit better shape there than compared to wide receiver, where if we lose Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks, you know, you're looking mm-hmm. at a starting wide receiver group right now. That's what Keenan Garber, uh, R.J. Garcia. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it'll be it it then it then it gets really interesting, and that fits is where the transfer portal will. Become huge over the next you know month or two because I think we'll know what's going on with all of these kind of super seniors that I just talked about, um, if not between now and the bowl game, right after the bowl game.
2: Now for clarity here, um, Malik Knowles is a junior listed, but he does he has been around for a while, and there's just ongoing rumors that. You know he's going to depart. It's been three years now. Well, like, I mean, we hear it all the time. Philip Brooks would be a super senior, and I just have a feeling if one of them comes back, it's going to be Philip, not Malik. But that's just my yeah. my gut feeling at this point.
3: Yeah, and the, and the reason, real quick, just the reason that I always and it's not just Malik. I lump any junior to me that that has the opportunity or that has put themselves in position, usually because of a redshirt year. Where they academically are going to graduate in this right. this year, to me, they automatically have the option of: Do I really want to come back to school, or do I just want to go ahead and and you know call it a day, or go in the transfer portal or whatever? That's why, even though he's a junior, you know, by roster, anybody to me that ha- already has that that diploma that will, will have that diploma in hand before the next season, I almost count them as a as a senior. <laughs>
2: Uh, now, it's interesting. He is from the first recruiting class, I believe, that could play the four games and preserve their redshirt year. And that was 2018, Bill Snyder's last year. If I recall, there was talk about trying to play him, and he he shut it down and said, no, I'm redshirting. Um, and so now he's played Chris Kleiman's first three seasons. So he has played four seasons at K-State. Just because of that redshirt year, he's, he's really the first guy we've encountered that played four games, played a significant amount as a true freshman and still maintained his redshirt. I just think it's interesting. It does make it feel like they've been around forever. Um, Now let's move on to the transfer portal. And a couple guys have now popped up as signees for Kansas State, including Adrian Adrian Martinez, the quarterback out of Nebraska. Very interesting. Mixed reviews maybe on him, but I think he kind of fits what – this K State offense is about. It's intriguing to me that he's coming off an injury and has to rehab. And probably won't be available much more than mental things in spring drills. But give me your thoughts on on Adrian Martinez.
3: Well, I, you know, it's twofold for me as well, Fitz. Um, I, you know, if on one hand K State went out and decided through the course of this past season, we need somebody that that can come in and basically. Uh, that, that's seasoned enough to come in where they're either going to win the job, and we feel comfortable with them winning the job based on the previous may, or we're going to put a guy up against Will Howard that we feel like can beat him, and Will Howard is going to rise to the occasion, win the job, and basically prove himself um, that you know he can be the guy. That that was kind of the the thought going into it, and so from the standpoint of we got to find a, an experienced veteran that's not going to be shaken um, and can come in and quickly learn this offense. You got one in Adrian Martinez. We're talking about a four-star kid out of high school. Adrian had offers from, you know, Alabama, um, um, you know, Oregon, I think was involved. Uh, This was a, he was a legit prospect out of high school was a massive get for Scott Frost right away at Nebraska. And he ends up being a career thirty-eight game starter in the Big Ten, um, and you know was just kind of Nebraska's heart and soul um, on offense over the course of some rocky, you know, last few years. Now, the thing to me though that's interesting about him is, yeah, athletically, you think about him running the football with Deuce Vaughn, his dual threat capabilities, um, you know, his ability to improvise out of the pocket. All that sounds great. Um, but you know, the turnovers are, are something that when we talk to the folks up in Lincoln that, you know, have covered him for several years now that, you know, there is a tendency to force things. And I've heard the rebuttal of, well, you know, he had to force things. Cause did you watch Nebraska? You know, they didn't have any playmakers. Well, I mean, does K-State have a lot of playmakers on offense outside of Deuce Vaughn? Uh, you know, you, you can make that argument too. Um, so there's that, you know, the, there's the turnovers, there's, the injury stuff, though, I think is what is makes this a, a very um, intriguing, uh, confusing kind of ad. I think for for K State in my eyes, because you get a guy, as you said, Fitz, that's coming off. Um, he just had shoulder surgery on his right shoulder, which is his throwing arm, uh, at the end of November or very, very early part of December, and so you're talking about it at best him maybe getting back right as the spring season is kind of coming to, a, to an end. I think more realistically, you're looking at, you know, kind of end of semester, early summer, maybe right at the beginning of June when, you know, some of these uh, high school prospects are starting to get on campus. And so, again, if the idea was to have someone compete with Will Howard and the other quarterbacks, um, you're not really going to get that in the spring. So, uh, you know, and again, it's also of importance, I think, because, you know, you have Adrian Martinez coming in that, like you said, will only really be able to take mental reps. So there's not going to be that connection that I think would naturally form with an offensive line, an offensive line that, again, could be breaking in three new interior guys with Noah Johnson, Josh Revis, Ben Adler, possibly all three of them being gone. So. It, that's what I think is interesting. I mean, Eric Crouch, I saw the, the former Heisman winner um, on Twitter from Nebraska wished Adrian Martinez the best of luck. And he said, you know, best of luck, stay healthy. <laughs> I mean, it's a, he's he's had knee injuries. He's had both shoulders and in, injured at some point of the year. So again, from the standpoint of the transfer portal, yes, you get a guy that is athletic as hell, um, does really both well from a passing standpoint and a running standpoint seasoned, um, you know, great locker room guy and tremendous leader by all accounts in Nebraska. Um, But a guy that, again, you're rolling the dice in the spring and you're rolling at the dice in the fall that he can stay healthy.
2: And on Friday, they picked up Joshua Hayes out of the transfer portal. Comes from Virginia, but he did play at North Dakota State for Chris Kleiman and Joe Klanderman before trying his luck in the ACC. Known commodity for these coaches at cornerback, and they've got to be really happy to have someone that they already have a bond with.
3: I like this one a lot. This one makes sense. This is what the transfer portal is supposed to be you know, kind of geared towards, and then you can, again, take some gambles with a guy like, Martinez, um, if, you, if you like them enough. But again, finding a kid that you've either recruited before or have a connection to, obviously that's the case with Joshua Hayes. Chris Kleiman recruited him um, as part of the 2017 class. He goes on to help North Dakota State win uh, three FCS National Championships, two of which um, he was coached by and you know, one under Chris Kleiman. Um, so they know exactly what they're getting out of him. He went to Virginia as a grad transfer last year, got uh, on campus, looked like he was going to be competing for a starting job pretty much right away, and then got a little nicked up from the sounds of it at uh, Virginia's fall camp. Uh, Missed a few games right off the bat for Virginia. Ended up playing, I think, three, um, and it kind of begged me to question that, you know, he probably thought, well, I've already missed part of this season, um, you know, that put me a little bit behind on the depth chart more than it would have if I hadn't been injured. You know, uh, if I have a red shirt available, I'm going to go ahead and take it. So I think he took that medical red shirt. And that is why we're talking about a player from the 2017 class that is going to play in the 2022 season. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fitz, this is a guy that uh, I thought it was a win-win for K-State because, you know, again, they have a connection with him. He's experienced <laughs> And, you know, he's a guy that it, you could probably start him if he's good enough. But if not, boy, you got a seasoned vet coming off uh, the bench, if you will, to kind of be that Reggie Stubblefield role. He can play safety, too. Um You know, versatile guy that, again, just won't be flustered, I don't think, by this stage. So, really, really strong get, I thought, for the defense out of the portal.
2: The transfer portal is the Wild West. It's the unknown right now in terms of what is how it's going to impact teams either giving or losing players into the portal. Now, the NCAA offered a form of relief for programs. If you lose up to seven guys, you can bring in a matching number of guys that won't count in your recruiting class. And that's important for some, but they do count to the towards 85, which is the bigger concern for Kansas State. How many guys in the portal do you think K-State will take in any positions, obviously wide receiver, that jump out at you?
3: I think they'll monitor wide receiver close, but yep. again, in the meantime, it's just going to be that. I think it'll just be monitoring and then, you know if obviously news comes out um that they feel like they need to go and get one then i think they will um personally i'd just go ahead and get one any, anyway i would too um but but again you know we'll we'll see what the staff decides to do there uh, i definitely know that they want another safety um you know maybe josh hayes was that guy i don't feel like he was i, I feel like they you know look at him more as a nickel or you know a backup cornerback to julius brants or echo boydo so I do feel like they'll go out and get one more safety that, you know, they can bring in with Kobe Savage back there because, you know, other than Kobe coming in right now, um, as it stands, it would be TJ Smith as a starter. And then you're looking at, you know, hoping that maybe a Ross elder comes back, perhaps maybe sincere Mason coming off of a, of an injury can rehab quick enough. And and maybe be a guy back there, Marvin Martin, you know, Hunter Henry, uh, you know, they, they need, they know they need, safety help and a guy that could come in right away and kind of bridge the gap to some of these younger players. So I would definitely say a safety, um, 1,000% a linebacker, 1,000%. <laughs> they will not go through this portal season without getting a linebacker. And honestly, if they find two, they like, they might go ahead and take two because I think you look at, you know, Daniel green coming back for one more season was, uh, an immense victory, kind of an untalked about victory for this staff to get him to come back. Um, because I think they're I think it was legitimate that he had some consideration of may, maybe testing the NFL waters, but you know, he sees some unfinished business and good for him. Cause I think he could have one heck of a season coming up, but they need somebody to pair with him. They brought in a big linebacker class last year. You know, they'll sign a couple of linebackers in this class, but Fitz, I'm not sure any of them are really ready to start right, right now. Um, it's more just kind of getting some, some snaps and, and, you know, getting their pants on, so to speak. So, um, I think they'll definitely go get a linebacker and then, um, you know, it still wouldn't surprise me depending on what they see, uh, during bowl practice, uh, again, at maybe, uh, a D lineman, if there's somebody that they really like and they, they feel like can fit, um, or an offensive lineman, you know, an offensive tackle perhaps. Um, that they can get in if they just don't feel like some of the guys that they have there now, like a Carver Willis or an Andrew Langing, is is showing enough progress that they can be, you know, starting caliber worthy and not Cooper Beebe inside. And say come the spring, I I wouldn't stun me to see maybe offensive tackle be one. So I think we're looking at. Again, I'm ballparking here. I have no inside information about you know the the scholarship numbers or you know who they're really eyeing in the portal because it changes every day. But I, you know, at minimum, I think we're looking at certainly three to five more. And you know, again, depending on um, you know guys that return, guys that don't, um, how many of these scholarships they choose to use. Um, if they could get a guy as a blue shirt, perhaps maybe because again, Cade Warner was a transfer last year who was actually a blue shirt, um, you know, then maybe they ought, th- that number increases to, say, six, seven, something like that. But I, I think we're definitely looking at another three to five.
2: What fascinates me about this is I don't know of any program, and it's not like I've studied this, that – got a bigger boost out of the transfer portal on one side of the ball than the K-State defense. I mean, they brought in a slew of guys. Julius Brents was the only one that has added eligibility and will be back next year, but they got a nose tackle. They got a safety. Um, they got the stubble field, whatever you want to call him. He was a hybrid. Uh, it, it just is really interesting to me that they had so much success in the transfer portal redefining their defense that they haven't really just kind of doubled down on it and said this This is how we're going to go. We're not getting the elite players out of high school, but we can go get an elite player that might have a year or two left, like a Rush yeast that was absolutely incredible for me. I, he was one of my favorite players on this team. He made play after play and uh, just really brought great value. And it's unfortunate he's only one year, but I just think they're going to go into the transfer portal if they have the scholarships to do it
3: yeah and you know, I should probably eat some crow here on this one because yeah, you know you looked at Russ Yeast, you figured well, he'll be pretty pretty good. you looked at Julius Sprints, you thought, okay well, he'll be pretty good, but never did I think that Reggie Stubblefield would make the impact that he that? did nor did nor did I think really Timmy Horn did and, and there were times I think maybe Timmy faded a little bit, but you also have to counter with the position that he played just isn't isn't one that you' you know draws attention to you snap after snap and by and large he did his job every single time he was on the field. So credit to Timmy and and Reggie for really stepping up. But at the same time, I, I, I tend to think though, that this K-State staff still feels like, uh, the portal is, it, it just doesn't really meet their strong suits as a staff. I think they really covet the evaluation process. They like to really get thorough and deep on knowing who a player, who a kid is on, off the field, their coaches, their trainers, their players, be able to scout them in person, be able to talk to them in person more. And the portal is so sped up that you really just don't get a chance to do that. And so, you know, I I think that they'll use it as they have, but I, I tend to think maybe that's why they're not like say a South Florida, who I think has double digit transfers already just for the 2022 cycle, I, I think that's why they're not anxious to become that type of team is because I don't think this is a staff that, that's that, um, that quick to the draw, I think is the, maybe the best way to say it. It's still, it's still a little bit of a, of a dice roll.
2: There is one aspect I think they can really work to their advantage and use their background. He had Briley Moore Two years ago, you had Reggie Stubblefield last year. Guys that came out of the FCS level who could play at this level. I mean, we thought Brightly Moore would be fine, and he was. <clears throat> we had doubts about Stubblefield, and he turned out to be really something remarkable. And I think there's a lesson in there that what Chris Kleiman's always been saying. There's dudes at every 1AA slash FCS program out there that could probably play here. And I think because of Chris Kleiman being an FCS legend, this is an area that they can – Really find a lot of guys that say, yeah, I want to go play for Chris Chris Kleiman. I want to do the same thing he did and step up from this level to that level. I'm not sure if that's what they're going to use, but it could also explain why they're a little bit slower here because those guys are probably going to be around with a few exceptions of really good FCS players. I know there's a quarterback in the portal that people are salivating over, but um, I think that's just an area they can really push to their advantage.
3: I, I wish that that's kind of how they treated the portal. You know, if, it, if it were me, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like uh, the initial portal process, that's again, kind of quick because you only have that contact period open for two weeks, kind of after the regular season where you can have time to get kids on campus. And again, kids want to see your campus. They don't want you to come to them. Um, These transfer portal kids want to see, okay, what am I getting myself into? So they want to get on campus, which is why um, as of this past Sunday, everything goes into a dead period until uh, January 14th. Um, So, you know, if if you take a kid out of the portal in this time period, you know, this is where it needs to be a kid that, you know, you know, uh, have a previous connection to, Um, that, you know, doesn't really matter about where they're going as much and then maybe save the January open period for the kids that you don't have as much connection to. And to some extent, I feel like K-State's kind of done the opposite of that. Um, They spent some of the early part of the process going after, like, a Jacoby Windman, um, the UNLV transfer linebacker that had umpteen million tackles Um, but didn't have any connection one iota to Kansas State. And lo and behold, he ends up not coming on an official visit and ends up at Michigan State because they just simply acted a little bit faster than Kansas State did, and maybe there was a connection that he already had. Um, Again, K-State's kind of flirting with Nevada, All-Mountain West linebacker Dayon Henley right now. Another kid that, you know, all of his other kind of finalists, if you will, out of the portal right now are... West Coast teams. He's a kid from like inner city Los Angeles. I, I I guess I just question maybe why Kansas State's going after him as opposed to again, uh, as you said, Fitz, maybe an FCS linebacker. I guess they did target the kid from Delaware, Kobe Reader, but that that feels to me like the area that they should yeah. try and get a proven player, and then again maybe supplement, um, try and go get if you want to call it a bigger name um, in January, but. Again, that's just me.
2: Well, it is interesting that Nevada played here, so he has some familiarity. He's been at least to the facility. That is uh, very (laughs) intriguing. Uh, Final topic here, the late signing period. You know, Chris Kleiman's mentioned that they would like to find a quarterback. Are there some areas in here that, in terms of high school kids, that you can see them looking to in this late signing period in February?
3: Uh, high school wise, I'm not, uh, you know, they'll have, they'll, they'll sign Tyson Schruber. It sounds like, uh, you know, they'll probably sign Silas Eder as well. I think there are some academic things going on there as well, but by all, again, by all accounts that I've heard anyway, it's not like I talked to, you know, folks that, you know, Eudora's you know, admin office or whatever. I don't, I don't look at the transcripts personally, but it sounds like he's on track to, sign as well. So there'll be two more kids. Silas, I think is planning on becoming uh, an outside linebacker for Kansas state. He's up to 6'3, probably about two Oh five. Um, and so he'll be an outside linebacker Then Tyson Struber. I mentioned, uh, in our first part that, you know, he's a player that could be probably start out as a receiver, um, and then move to a defensive back. I'm curious though, if Tyson Struber, um, will be a full ride kind of scholarship player, if maybe, depending on how scholarship numbers check out between now and February 2nd, if maybe he can't become uh, a blue shirt because he has not, I don't think he's been visited yet by the staff. And I don't think he's, I know he hasn't taken uh, an official visit yet. So, and and he might be a kid too, coming from the eight man level that, you know, might need a little bit extra time. So, uh, you know, A blue shirt, you know, counting his forward might allow them to get somebody in here more immediate um, and count to this class. But other than that, uh, probably running back. I think they do know they need to go get a high school running back um, that's still out there. But um, other than that, I don't know. You know, Chris Kleiman made a comment um, at the press conference on Wednesday about them still having some players that they thought might sign early that are still out there. Uh, I don't know who that would be because of the majority of the kids that they've offered anyway, um, you know, are either off the board signed or were kids that I don't think were that heavily interested in Kansas state to begin with when they went ahead and made early commitments. So uh, it'll be curious. I'm curious to see kind of who they decide to target in January. Um, But uh, as I know, as I said earlier, I think, You'll have these two kids that have already committed, um, and then you'll definitely have a running back, which as of this moment looks like it would be Travis Bates out in front from Berkeley Prep. And then uh, the quarterback, like I mentioned, that uh, I think that they'll try and bring in from – Um, the west side of of the country to bring in on January 14th that was a previous Pac-12 commitment.
2: Fantastic stuff. He's Ryan Wallace. He's covered recruiting for us for a very long time. He continues to do so, and he's all over this stuff. And you can read most of his content at GoPowerCat. I imagine you tweet once in a while. But if you like what you see from (laughs) Wally, make sure you're subscribing to GoPowerCat.com to get his recruiting coverage. Ryan Wallace, thank you very much. That was awesome stuff. Thank you, Fitz. And we appreciate you listening to this special edition of the Power Cap Podcast as we recap Kansas State's 2022 fall signing class and look forward to what else the Wildcats and Chris Kleiman might be doing with the rest of their scholarships. I'm Tim Fitzgerald, and make sure you stand by for another edition of the Power Cap Podcast in a few days as we take you right up to the Christmas break.
1: Thank you for listening to the Power Cat podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Power Cat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com.